science. Love and Science on uh, BCFM 93.2 FM or BCFM Radio uh, dot uh, com. And uh, it's always a pleasure to have your uh, company on a Monday afternoon. Uh, the room is full. It's packed with talent this afternoon. Uh, I'm here as well. Yeah, and, <laughs> and Andrew. Thank you. You beat, you beat me to the punchline there. <laughs> so it's, uh, 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 well... It's the usual suspects. I've got uh, Andrew Glester, of course, uh, with me. And uh, uh, Josh Warren, uh, our, our old friend, not so much of the old <laughs> emphasis there uh, on Maddie, Maddie Nichols. <laughs> Thanks, and, uh, <laughs> and I'm absolutely uh, delighted as well to welcome uh, Nigel Evans from the uh, Bristol uh, Jazz and Blues Festival. Hi, Nigel. Good afternoon. It's, uh, it's good, to, good to have you with us. I'm going to just get you to s- s- come round on the mic a little little bit there yeah okay I think that's absolutely fine and um uh, yeah we're, we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, music and the importance of music science of music um I'm going to fez up straight away I am not the most I enjoy music but I am a musical ignoramus Oh. No question about it. I don't think that's true. I think you play some wonderful tracks here on the radio. Well, thank you very much. And uh, the fiver will be <laughs> coming. Um, so, uh, and the thing is, I'm surrounded in my family by, by people who know all about music, which makes me think I'm even more like an ignoramus. Uh, but we'll find out more, uh, more about that later. Andrew, how's life been with you? Uh, well, pretty good, thank you. Yeah, I've been, uh, as people listening last week know, I've been to CERN. And, oh, uh, have and you? Went some of the... Oh, I didn't know. Because, yeah, no, I, I haven't... I haven't I've <laughs> you didn't mention quite, it, no. Andrew. He doesn't, he, he never, hasn't... does he? He never no. mentions it I in like, passing. No, 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 just a load of photos come up. Like, <laughs> oh, Andrew's doing something really cool. At the, la- the Large Hadron Collider. Yeah. And did yes. they let you press all the buttons? Uh, yes, I fixed it. No, it wasn't broken. No. So I was there because the web, um, the, the thing that sits on top of the internet so that we can yes. access it, uh, it was 30 years old last week. And so I went over to CERN to meet some of the people who were instrumental in making the web uh, be what it is today. Well, that's uh, we'll good. We'll probably hear from one of them later. We definitely show. will be hearing from one of, one of them later. So, so that's good. So you're back safe and sound. That's I good. am. Yes. While it's stuffed with Swiss francs. Uh, yes, and and t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um, Maddie, how are you? It's been, it's been a while since we've seen you because you've got a proper job now. You're no longer doing a doctorate. I know, right? <laughs> it can happen. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I haven't been back for a while because I was writing up my PhD thesis, yeah. which is quite a task. I will, <laughs> if anyone that's gone through it will know. Um, yeah, and then I had a little bit of time off and moved away from Bristol for a bit. And then, surprise, I came back. <laughs> Yay. And, and, and I should introduce you properly as Dr. Maddie Nichols. Oh, Yay! Thank you. Well done, everybody. <laughs> 
yeah. There I you go. Our first chance to. So there you are. And now you can Thank sink you. into obscurity. Yes, that's that is the dream. That's the dream. That's, that's the, the dream. dream. <laughs> so great to have you with Josh. Yeah, what's your What's your week been like? Hey, have you done a doctorate this week? Uh, <laughs> have you been to CERN this week? I think not. <laughs> I have. Hello, I'm, I've had a completely uninteresting week in, in, in comparison. I'm afraid, Mark. No, I was at I was at uni this this weekend. Uh, we had a bit of an assessment going on. Um, and and then yeah we've had a, quite a nice nice weekend it's been it's been a nice day yesterday wasn't it and then yeah. and then there was lots of what uh, you mean weather wise yeah weather wise yeah, yeah it was and there was lots, nice. lots of wind over the week wasn't there our, yeah. our, our fence blew down oh so was, nice yeah, not really, and our aerial blew off so that was oh, fun we, we yeah. didn't have any TV for the week I'm old enough <laughs> to remember the great hurricane the great wind that came and knocked down. All the trees on Clapham Common, <laughs> which is near where I lived at the time. Do you still access the television using the aerial? It's a bit uh, backwards, really. <laughs> yeah. Do you? Yeah. I think we do occasionally. <laughs> uh, there's, there's, there's very few things I watch on classic TV, other than maybe Match of the Day. Yeah. But, yeah, we didn't have that this weekend. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> it's on the iPlayer, you know. You watch it live. <laughs> the iPlayer. <laughs> and, and Nigel Evans, well, welcome to this strange, motley group of people. Um, you, you, of, of course, you've, you've, you've not come on as somebody who... I mean, I know nothing about science either. As I say, you, don't, you haven't come on, I don't think, anyway, as a scientist, but as a, as a, a musician person interested in music. Um, what are you doing with the Bristol uh, Jazz... Now, have I got this right? Jazz and Blues Festival, Blues and Jazz Festival. It's the Jazz and Blues Festival. It's the International Jazz and Blues Festival. Uh-huh. It's not just local, it's not just regional, but we've got musicians from all over the world um, yeah. appearing as well. So uh, it's a small team who are putting the whole thing together, and my particular role is really trying to get more involvement from um, people who live in the local area. We We need sponsorship as well because we try and make the concerts as accessible as possible um, so that we can keep ticket prices down and, and really encourage as many people as possible to come along. I mean, we've got over 400 musicians appearing over three days, which is an incredible number if you think coming into the city. Uh, and a lot of those are, are local musicians. And I think that's the thing around Bristol is its wealth of talent. Um, you know, we are spoiled for choice in many, many ways. So, uh, yeah, so my week has really much been pushing um, sales as far as possible, going to events, uh, making sure as many people as possible know about the, the festival, because no matter how many times you plug it, you put up posters, you circulate the programme, um, there are still people who somehow you miss out. Mm. So we're always finding new people who say, oh, I didn't even know it was happening. Well, you're going to be sold out after this show. Yeah. No question. Absolutely. About it. Yeah, with our vast numbers of listeners yeah. all, over, all over Bristol. And, and um, so you're, you, you have a particular... You've got a connection with uh, this show because Jamie Thakra, who usually comes and presents once a, one, once a month... Yeah. You are her soon-to-be father-in-law. Indeed, yeah. So, um, yeah. and I've learned a huge amount about neuroscience from um, from, <laughs> yeah. from, from Jamie and, uh, since yeah. uh, since she's known my son Rob and that. And um, so, while she's not here, not listening, what's she like? <laughs> 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 and, and in fact, she's cooking for us tomorrow evening. Oh, tomorrow, oh, okay. she, she, right. she is a superb cook. Yeah. And, what time uh, do you want me round? Looking forward to catching up with uh, with both of them tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we th- we thought we would um, 
we, we've got another connection, of course, is, is that uh, Jenny, who's a- Andrew's wife, is a musician. She's going to be uh, performing at the, uh, at the festival as well. And we're going to be hearing from her uh, uh, very shortly. Um, but uh, we, we thought we'd, we'd, there's quite a bit of science about the science of, of, of music. And um, there's a, an, an article that uh, we've been looking at, which is that the benefits of playing music help your brain more than any other activity. And I think um, we, we could just pick up on this straight. You, you were saying to us earlier, before we, we went on air, that it's really sad because the, the, uh, a lot of invest that there's less investment than there was in promoting music, and yet we know, don't we, that there are so many benefits right throughout life uh, to learning to play an instrument and, and enjoying music. I think we're only just learning about the actual benefits of being involved in music at, at every level. I mean, Malcolm, you talked about, you know, you, know, you felt a bit, uh, I know it, well, we use the word inadequate, but you felt, you know, there are lots of people who know more about it than you. Oh, inadequate's a good word. <laughs> but I think it's, it's, at any level, I think there, there are benefits from, from playing music, and we're, we're now finding out, um, you know, from the neuroscience point of view, about the connections within the brain. But on an emotional level, um, if people start playing, they have to work as a team, they have to listen to other people, they have to respond. And, and we were just talking outside with, with, with Maddie about how it gives people a passion. Everybody, everybody needs a passion in life, no, no matter what it is, I think. And, and for, for some young people, it's the thing that actually they really get excited about. And if you can capitalise on that, the benefits just far outweigh any of the costs um, that happen. And I think it is hugely disappointing that particularly in state schools, um, the teaching of music, the involvement of music is declined. And unfortunately, it's becoming, um, you know, the, the inequality is becoming more and more stark as I think that the, the figures are, I think there's a decline in 21% of music teaching in state schools and yet an increasing, um, increase, increase rather of 7% or 9% in um, independent schools. Wow. So the gap of, of access to, to being able to take part in music is increasing. And going back to your point about the actual benefits, um, and it's not just children or young people. I mean, the article we were reading talks about it not only puts off Alzheimer's because the, the way in which the neural connections are operating in the, in the brain are just used more. Um, but even, even people who are experiencing Alzheimer's, if they, they experience music, if they start playing rhythm, it actually does lessen the effects of that. Um, stroke victims, their recovery has increased as a result of playing music. Um, I used to do a lot of work with people with poor mental health, and the therapeutic advantages of, of, of working with somebody, of actually creating something as well, doesn't matter about the quality, are just enormous. So it's, and as I said, we just start scratching the surface, I think, in terms of the value of that. There's been some uh, studies uh, various places. Uh, University of Montreal, uh, there's, a, there's a quote here I'm looking at from somebody, the lead researcher called Simon Landry, who said, the more we know about the impact of music on really basic sensory processes, the more we can apply musical training to individuals who might have slower reaction times. As people get older, we know their reaction times get slower. So if we know that playing a musical instrument increases reaction times, 
than maybe playing an instrument will be helpful for them. I didn't react so quickly there to lowering my chair <laughs> <laughs> unexpectedly with, with the heel of my foot. Um, just to keep everybody uh, amused. Um, and there's another quote here. Uh, Music probably does something unique. This is uh, uh, Catherine Loveday from the University of Westminster. And she says, it stimulates the brain in a very powerful way because of our emotional connection with it. So that, that, that makes a lot of sense, um, that music very quickly builds connections and links. I wonder what kind of um, musicality we've got in the room here. I, I tell you what, my music, my musicality stretches to. Uh, uh, my parents tried to get me to learn to play the piano, and it was probably the most boring uh, uh, learning experience I ever had. And I, I, after a couple of years of this, I forgot absolutely everything I learned. It was very sort of put your fingers here and do this and do that um i can strum a guitar i can i can i've got about five chords i can do how's that and that's it that's what about good. what about you guys? are you musical andrew um i, I actually don't know this about you no. i know you like music I but do. i don't know if you can play any musical instrument. um yeah no, well i can i can play the guitar i've got this problem you see because i used to be in a few bands you know like we all did i think probably if we picked up a guitar we're in bands at university and uh, I, I used to perform with these bands and i absolutely hated performing um so i, I stopped but i played very quietly to myself at home and then i got married to jenny who will will talk to or hear from in a minute um the most astonishing there thing there is is not that i'm married but just how <laughs> just well you're just saying what we're all thinking yeah, but yeah. i know um just just what a wonderful musician she is and I, I i'm ashamed to say and she wouldn't like me to say this but when she came and lived in my house or we lived in the same house um having somebody of that talent performing in the house just made me feel totally inadequate and I kind of stopped for a while I've actually come back to it now though and in one of my latest shows I actually play the guitar live again which is very yeah. exciting for everybody in the audience oh, fantastic oh, um, what about you Maddie? Um, I know Jenny <laughs> 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 no when I was growing up um, I obviously dabbled in recorder as all young girls do <laughs> much to my parents yes uh, it's mandatory excitement. isn't it yeah, it's yeah. mandatory to torment your parents exactly. with those but plastic recorders oh god yeah. they're so bad aren't they mm. and then I did also play flute, um, but oh. got to, like, grade five, and then you have to do the serious, like, music theory bit yeah. of things, and just yeah. wasn't about that. Yeah. Uh, and, and Josh? Um, I, again, similar to you, really, I know a few chords on the guitar. Mm. Um, I also played drums for a couple of years. Mm. Um, Let's form a band. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we could do that. And I've, we'll do I've, Springsteen I've, covers. Oh, yes, I love Bruce. I want to go and see Bruce Springsteen again at some point uh, in my life. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, and I've also done a little bit of singing, I suppose, in my time. I've sang in pubs a few times. I've sang at lots of karaoke's. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Nigel, are you, you are a musician. Yeah? I've, I've dabbled over the years in various yeah. things that, you know, I'm not, certainly not you know, accomplished in that. And one of the interesting things was I was one of those children who was told to stand at the back and mouth the words as yeah. a child. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was described as a growler. Yeah. And um, so which put me off singing in front of anybody for essentially forever until just over a year ago, and I thought, I'm not going to be defined by this. And there was a little choir setting up, and I thought, well, I'll go along. What's the worst thing that can happen? I could be humiliated and, you know, never want to see those people again. But it was such a warm, welcoming group of people, and I subsequently had proper singing lessons, which I had for about nine months. 
and actually realised I do have a voice. Mm-hmm. And that was really, you know, even at my advanced years, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> a bit of a revelation, really. And it was just such, so fantastic. And I felt a bit deprived, really, that, you know, for all those years, I yeah. felt... I just need to keep quiet. Um, and I think that's happened to an awful lot of people. And I wonder how old you have to... Well, uh, I suppose you could learn to sing at any time, but whether, whether, whether you reach a point where your voice really isn't flexible enough to sing, or do you think it could go right through well, I, I the spoke, whole of your life? Yeah, I spoke to the singing teacher about that, and I said, look, you know, is it too late? And, and he said, no, it's never too late. It really isn't. And I'm sure my progress has been much slower than it would have been if... You know, I started sort of, you know, 30, 40 years ago and that. But I can already identify significant improvements, not only in the, in the, in the quality, but in, you know, the ability to pitch, the ability to hold a tune and things like that. So, so I think the answer is no, it's never too late. All right. Well, look, we, we, uh, we have a, a piece uh, from uh, Jenny uh, Glesto, who's a- Andrew's wife. Je- Jenny, uh, part of what she does, she's a music teacher, but she also uh, is involved in uh, music therapy. And um, Andrew, I don't know if there's any more to say about it. I'll just play it. Yeah, no, go ahead. OK, here we go. I was working in a hospital for people who suffered from dementia. And there was one particular patient there who did not seem to respond to anything. Didn't really smile, didn't seem to have any joy in life at all. And I happened to be there during visiting hours one time. Her son and daughter were visiting. And I'd done some various different songs to start off with. I played a little bit. And then I decided to to do some Elvis actually, Love Me Tender and I started playing and singing and some of the other um, patients joined in as they often do but this particular lady, she suddenly it was like the lights turned on in her brain her eyes completely changed a smile came right across her face and she started singing and it was the first time she'd interacted for weeks and weeks and weeks and she sang all the words. She knew every single word of the song. And it was so touching, not only that music had completely connected with her, totally switched her on, but also for her daughter and her son to witness that and to see their mother switch on again, be the person that they remember, even for that brief moment of time. Very, very humbling. And how wonderful that music can do that. And I always And that was uh, uh, Jenny Glester. And uh, as we said, she's performing live. She yeah. is. She's uh, This weekend you can see her in two different concerts at the Bristol Jazz and Blues Festival that we've been talking about. She's doing uh, something with China Moses. China Moses sings Billie Holiday's Lady in Satin in full, which is uh, Saturday night, I believe. I'm really looking forward to that. And... Uh, Pee Wee Ellis with strings. Since we've got you in, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about it. Not, not Pee Wee, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the, the China Moses um, singing Billie Holiday's Lady in Saturn, I think, is a real coup for the festival. Uh, and I can't remember the name of the, the um, chap who, who transcribed the whole album. 
but I think this is probably the first performance of it all, and it's, it's a really quite a momentous um, performance that, 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 that the the Jazz and Blues Festival is is putting on this year. And I think it's going to be a really special evening, mm-hmm. particularly in St George's, which has got beautiful acoustics with such top quality musicians. Mm-hmm. So um, it's one of going to be one of my highlights. Yeah, as well. no, it's going to be amazing. I do, what I would say is, if if all of you could buy tickets apart from one, because I've not got mine yet, <laughs> and uh, just make sure there's one left. So people have to organise themselves not to buy. <laughs> <laughs> well, just if you get to the website, go to the website, which is bristlejazzandbluesfestival.com. Go to China Moses, sing Spirit Holidays, Lady in Saturn. If there's one ticket left, don't buy it. Or <laughs> buy it and gift it to Andrew. Oh, yeah, yeah. you could do that. Yeah. And actually be heading that way with that concert. Is getting so, so, yeah. so get your ticket. No, it really time. is, isn't it? Yeah. And then the, the other, the other um, concert that, uh, that Jen is playing in is the, uh, the, the Pee Wee Ellis um, Ballads, Blues and Bossa. And, and Pee Wee, he's one of the patrons of the festival, and he's an amazing character. If you don't know about Pee Wee, he was James Brown's um, musical arranger. He contributed to so many of those absolute classic um, funk and soul songs that, that James Brown did and and he's he lives in Froome and he's been an absolutely passionate supporter of music in the Bristol and surrounding area and he's, as I said he's a patron of the festival and this is something he's wanted to do for a long time and our artistic director um, Denny has, has put together done the arrangements for this and again I think that's going to be another absolutely beautiful concert mm. um, so so we really are being spoiled over the next few days yeah definitely great also you're listening to uh, Love and Science on uh, 93.2 FM on BCFM radio and uh, we've been talking about music uh, a little bit about the science of music about the uh, uh, blues and jazz uh, jazz and blues blues and jazz festival I'll never get that right because I got it wrong once um, and um, we are uh, we're joined um, by uh, Nigel and by Maddie, and uh, you'll also hear the voices of Andrew and Josh. Uh, and uh, we're... we're <laughs> I was trying to build that into something yeah. really great. This is, this, is, this is my voice. I'm, yeah. This is Andrew. Yeah, yeah. Josh, uh, what's uh, your yeah, voice I'm, like? I'm here too. Yeah. Hi. Thanks very much. I would, <laughs> just to make a quick announcement, feel free to buy tickets now for China Moses at the Bristol Jazz and Blues Festival because I've got my ticket. Oh, I just wow. bought it during that Fantastic. song. Fantastic. I haven't amazing. yet, though, so, uh, so, so if you wouldn't mind refraining. Thank uh, you very much. It was an incredibly, incredibly short song <laughs> for doing that. Very good. There really um, aren't very many left. And he really, really wants to go. <laughs> <laughs> On it. So, um, Maddie Nichols, uh, you are, and I'm just going to make sure I get this absolutely right, you are now... <laughs> The Director of Operations and Events at Spin Up Science. Yes, yes, so what, that is so my official title. Very Ooh. good, very good. What is Spin Up Science? So Spin Up Science is a startup company that exists um, to sort of train scientists with entrepreneurial skills, um, to sort of move them into the innovation workspace. Um, so... Much like myself, lots of people enter into academia with the dream of going through the whole way to becoming a professor and like (laughs) head of their kind of area, owning a bit of the science world. Um, But unfortunately, in real life, that's not that easy to do. Because there aren't so many jobs, are there? (laughs) The the, the top of that pyramid. Exactly, yeah. So so there's more and more PhD students kind of coming into the space, but that's not really being matched with kind of tenure positions of professorships um yeah lectureships in 
science particularly yeah. I don't know if that's the same across <laughs> across everywhere yeah. <laughs> in academia um yeah so it's kind of one of those things where it's like okay I've done this PhD um what am I going to do now like I don't really want to go into industry necessarily um what other options do I have and one of the options, which isn't really done in us in as much as it should be, um, is to go into a startup. So take an idea that's come up in research that has quite a lot of potential for impact um, in that particular area, quite a lot in the medical kind of space, uh, particularly um, well sought after. Uh, take one of those ideas and build it into a company and actually take it outside of research journals and being stuck kind of in there um, and actually make it into something that actually makes a difference in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, make something happen. Exactly. Yeah, so it's taking yeah. it from a th the theoretical place to mm -hmm. a practical place. Exactly. So Spin Up Science is kind of, I guess, like a little bit meta and that it's a start-up for start-ups. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we sort of, yeah, help people kind of bridge the gap between sort of going and doing that, making their own start-up and setting up a company um, and being in the university. So we've got all this talent mm -hmm. in, in the city mm -hmm. and uh, people are, uh, you know, they're inventing stuff, developing stuff and so on and so forth you're, yeah. uh, and you're encouraging them to do that and now you've come up with the idea of a, uh, like a competition yeah so basically like over the last couple of years um was it our CEO and founder was actually kind of involved in this so that's kind of where this all comes from um they've set up places like unit dx over and behind temple meads and that's a science incubator so that's essentially lab space where all these startup companies can go and like work on their um, different innovations and make progress and bring about that change um, so that's all happened in the last kind of 18 months to two years and it really has meant that the startup community has just flourished and come together and actually gained quite a lot of momentum and there's quite a prolific story in the news um, over the course of last summer with a company called Xylo the sort of like on diabetes treatments um, they got bought out for a very considerable sum <laughs> by a big pharmaceutical company um, so that's kind of like I guess like the ultimate dream of a startup to kind of build into something like as prolific yeah. as that yeah. Um, but yeah there's a whole lot of other companies in the pipeline kind of there um, ready <laughs> to make their mark on the world and yeah so we've set up an award ceremony which we've called Launch Great West um, to kind of bring and unite all the different startup companies across the southwest actually um, we've gone a bit bigger than Bristol <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so sort of bring them all together and uh, how, far the the, how far is the territory? Is it, it's just the southwest, or is yeah, it, so all the way down. Yeah. Well, see, we're using the terminology Great West, um, right. which comes straight from the industrial strategy. Yeah. <laughs> so, kind of yeah. make, show them that we're on board with the message. Um, so, yeah, all across the southwest, down to like Plymouth, lots wow. of exciting stuff going on there. Sort of marine yes. research and all that, um, and then also into Cardiff and South Wales. Because um, there's like the Great Western Alliance of universities, um, Bristol, Bath, Exeter, and Cardiff. Um, they're sort of like a united front um, that are also called the Great West. <laughs> Great Western Alliance. Um, so nothing to do with trains, um, but yeah, the Great uh, West. Great West. And uh, your how do is is this already a kind of a fixed thing now, or, or you know, can people still be encouraged to enter the uh, awards? Um, uh, no, so that we have our nominations um, right. for science startup companies are still open until the 15th of April. 
Um, So we'd love it if you could head to our website, launchdw.com, if you work for a startup that's based (laughs) in the the Great West um, and does science. Um, We'd love it if you could come and get involved. Um, Yeah, if you head to our website, we've got a variety of different awards and we've decided to be fairly science agnostic um, in that we have uh, kind of largely separated it by business stages. Yeah. So we've got like exciting ideas that maybe still in university, but you know you might be thinking about commercialising, and then people that have already gone out and sort of built their startup company but are still in the very early stages, and then obviously ones that are a little bit further down the line and are sort of building <laughs> in size. Yeah. So I was, ju- I was just because <laughs> you talk about Zylo. Uh, the deal that they'd signed, I just looked it up, and that deal could be worth six hundred and twenty-three million pounds. Wow! Yeah, a considerable sum. That is indeed a considerable. Mm. M- do you know it's more than I make in a year? <laughs> it really no, is. No. Yeah, surely not. It is. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. a year and a half. Whole year. Enough. Yeah, not the yeah. famous Malcolm. <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, my goodness. And there's there are more companies that could follow in that. And the final event, kind of presumably you're designing, uh, busy working on the event now, uh, the, yeah, the, the, the yeah, sort so of I mean, final awards. Mm. Um, I, I, I pro- I'll have to check my diary to see if I'm available, because you know, <laughs> you'll need a glamorous, like yeah. a big glamorous, big named, yeah, well, you know, I'd, yeah. for half a million, I'd probably, <laughs> probably get you to talk to my agent. Mm. Yeah, I, do, I think he's wanting to know if you at least want him to present one of the awards. <laughs> Sorry, they're all already spoken for. Oh. Yeah. yeah, the awards is like oh, yeah. next year. Only possible because of our wonderful sponsors. Oh yes. name, name down for next year. So where? So is this open? The important thing is this is is this open to the public to come to the event? Uh, so if you are signed to be minded and you would like to come, then of yeah. course you would be welcome. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we sort of want to bring the whole community together because obviously much like all kinds of events and things that you're involved with, it's not just the work of one person. Um, yeah. There's often a whole community and team yeah. kind of behind yeah. you yeah. enabling that success. So yeah. we want to celebrate the whole community. As with most scientific developments, it's, it's usually not mm. just a person who's done this, exactly. but it's the product of a, of a, of a long process. Well, that's fantastic. Mm. Well, we, we wish you all the very uh, best with that, Maddie. Thanks for telling Thank us you. about Thanks it. Thanks for having me. Uh, and uh, we have been talking about uh, music and um, we've been thinking about uh, some of the science behind uh, uh, music. We've, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, an article that uh, we've been looking at. Poor pitch singing could be a matter of the tune in your head. This is from uh, Science Daily. And uh, basically, uh, it's saying, though it's easy to hear a singer hit a bad note... What's contributing to that inaccuracy might actually be inaudible, and, and the, the study is all about what's called subvocalization, the silent preparatory muscle movements of the face and the larynx that result when singers run a song through their heads prior to actually singing it out loud, uh, and it could be nudging them out of tune. This is from the University of Buffalo, uh, which is in uh, Colorado, I do believe. Yes. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's interesting. The other thing I, I, I learned when I was you know, with my, my singing teacher was the importance of, of, of where the sound is generated. And that's interesting that that just talks about um, sort of the face of the larynx and the throat, whereas actually the sound is, starts to be generated much, much, much more deeper in the body, down, you know, down in the sort of diaphragm area. And it's, if you don't get that bit right... Oh yes, then nothing in terms else. Of singing, yes, in terms of singing, singing techniques, the same with speaking in public. 
You try and get, get people to think their voice yeah. down. down. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's one of the, the big problems with people who, who think they can't sing is that it actually starts in the wrong place. <laughs> and it's a very hard thing to be able to describe what pitching a note and, and how you hear it beforehand is. And actually, I think what I've learned is, is actually it's just practice. It's practice, practice, practice. And gradually, that voice and that connection with your... Um, with your body begins to, to, to make sense. Uh, well, uh, according, I mean, uh, that, uh, that is absolutely true, of course, but according to this, apparently um, they've been electrically monitoring these nearly imperceptible movements. So it's like, it's like when you go, you're, you think, right, I'm going to have to sing in a few moments, you know, and so you're, you're, you're actually preparing your, your, your voice. And um, they've been monitoring these imperceptible uh, movements um, and found that they these movements have implications both within and beyond the domains of music and music instruction, and they provide valuable insights into an area of cognition that is not well understood. In other words, it's still... Inaccurate singing is still a mystery. Why is it, you know, that people get it wrong? Um, mm. uh, other people, of course, not me. And they don't appear... People who have these problems, don't, they don't appear to have problems hearing pitch relationships or controlling their pitch when they're speaking. Uh, but why is it they find it difficult to find the correct pitch when they're singing? And it would seem that there's an issue relating to what they perceive musically to the motor planning that is required to sing. So it's all about you can throw something is going on which actually disturbs the brain uh, mechanism. It's a curious thing. And I guess the, the, the other thing, actually, if it is absolutely perfect all the time, it becomes a bit sterile. I think, like anything, you know, the, the, the imperfections are actually what make it more interesting. And, and I think, you know, sometimes actually, you know, slightly sort of off-key and, and um, where people are sliding into the notes are actually what, what gives, gives some music character as well. So, you know, we shouldn't strive for perfection all the time. Well, absolutely, yeah. Is, is, this, is this a similar sort of thing to the fact that when one hears their voice recorded and one hears it in their own head, yes. they're different, aren't they? Cause, yeah. Because often you, you, people who haven't heard their voice recorded very often might be surprised by how they sound. Yeah, it's quite disturbing. So, so we hear our uh, voices normally through the bones in our head. Mm. Um, so when someone plays your recording of your voice, most people are freaked out by it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, True. I, I, I don't know uh, what the connection is, but it might, it might be uh, something similar. Anyways, ongoing research to help singers sing. Well, look, um, we said at the top of the show that Andrew has been off to uh, CERN, uh, the uh, Large Hadron Collider in um, uh, Geneva in uh, Switzerland. Oh, it's in Switzerland and in France. It's so big. Uh, and um, you did well. Just tell us, you did an interview with someone called Jean Francois. Yes. So, uh, so obviously, the web was invented by Tim Berners Lee at CERN thirty years ago this month. Mm. Um, well, at least he presented the idea thirty years ago this month. And uh, once it started get, get moving along <clears throat> and becoming a thing, 
it was needed to be more than just Tim Berners-Lee. And uh, so he was wondering where he could find somebody to help. And uh, Jean-François Groff is the man who he got. Now, Jean-François came over to Switzerland to CERN, as part of his military service, actually, to, uh, and to work at CERN on some computer stuff. And uh, he was chosen for, as the person at CERN to help Tim Berners-Lee build the web. I, I got to appreciate the power of the internet because it was 91 and I was very often working off hours for the web so I used to go home at 5 or 6 p.m. after my regular work and then after dinner I would come back to CERN and maybe from you know, 9 p.m. to 3 in the morning I would go hacking on the web but, hey, something to show the next day and it was very exciting so when I drove from Saint-Genis to here, I was listening to the radio in my car. And there was the birth of a, of a, a 24-hour news radio called France Info, which was giving us news. And there was CNN on TV, but we didn't get CNN. We saw it when we traveled. But France Info was the same style, okay? We give you 24-hour news with every 15 minutes, bang, 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 this was happening in the world. What was happening in the world in 91 was the Gulf War, right? Iraq had invaded, invaded Kuwait, and you know, that was pretty bad, and then the U.S. decided we're going to kick out the Iraqi out of Kuwait, and let's see what we do next. So we listened to the news on the radio, one story. Then we came online, we didn't have the web, but we had Usenet News, which was a, a forum system where people talked about all kinds of things. And we, had, we read a different story. You know, there was a news group called altnews.desertstorm, and people were reporting from the ground about what was going on, so you didn't hear only, the, only one side of the story. And, well, I learned a lot about how news are manufactured you know, for the public. And today we still hear about fake news. And yeah, well, it's not new. Uh, so that was very uh, eye-opening um, eye for me as a young man. Yeah. Tim described in his 97 book about uh, weaving the web, he described the web as a great equalizer. With this technology, anybody can be a publisher. And it's true, if you look at the rise of, let's say, YouTubers these days, somebody talking about their life or about jokes can build an audience of millions, hundreds of millions of people sometimes, right? So that's impressive. It's something you couldn't do uh, with traditional media. That worked. Now, who do you trust? The web today, the internet today, is a giant confirmation bias machine. Whatever you believe, you can find endless confirmation of it online. And if you believe the exact opposite, you'll find endless confirmation as well. And, and that's baked into everything you do because, of course, all the searches are personalized. Uh, so in the first five years when you looked up something on Google, you had the same result as everyone else. You could call them you know, neutral or not, but a machine would process everything and would give you the most popular takes on whatever you were looking for. But then, 
this became intermingled with advertising and with personalization, and both to help the advertisers target a particular audience and to help you get more relevant things to what your interests actually are, uh, you're never anonymous anymore online, okay? And that was a big thing in the 90s. People were still discussing, hey, how can we preserve privacy? It's awful if, if, if we can be tracked. That was, a, that was a debate. Today it's not a debate anymore. Everybody is tracked all the time and we don't even pay attention. And, you know, we, we, we give out all this personal location data, friends data, interest data. We give it out voluntarily. Okay, and a few activists say, oh, wait, that's dangerous. But the majority of the public doesn't care at all. Let me emphasize, people don't care. I've been involved in a number of startups, most recent of which was about payments, so it's extremely sensitive, you know, what you buy, where, at what time, for what amount, is there a change in the flow of, you know, how much you spend this month compared to the previous month, this is extremely precious data, people didn't care at all. That was uh, Jean-Francois talking to uh, Andrew uh, Glester at CERN about the web. You are listening to Love and Science on BCFM. Indeed you are. And uh, we haven't got a huge amount of time left on the show, but we're going to... Uh, we, we, we're delighted to have Nigel uh, Evans with us from the uh, uh, Bristol Jazz and Blues Festival. And uh, n- n- Nigel, just just remind us of what's, uh, what's going on so, so uh, we can take advantage yeah. of this great opportunity. Well, we talk quite a bit about the, the jazz um, that's, that's taking place, and that's mainly at St George's, uh, just off Park Street. And then we've got a lot of other things going on at the um, what people probably know as the Anson Rooms the, the Student Union building at Queen's Road um, and there's a real wealth of talent going on there so we've got a lot of the blues um, concerts taking place, we've got a big free stage that's going on in the a balloon bar where, as I said earlier on, the, 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 some of the best talent in Bristol and around are playing and that's all free, so come along and just enjoy that if um, you know you can't get tickets for the, for the actual paid stuff and we've also got some masterclasses as well so the fantastic thing about the festival is that some of the, um, the real top class musicians such as Leanne Carroll um, Josh Smith uh, are, are, are doing are doing masterclasses that, that people can come and either hear and take part in so they really get a sense of what it's like being uh, a world class musician and we've also got something for all the family there's um, something we call Little Swing which is where uh, children from ages about sort of 7 to 11 can come along and, and, and just do, do wonderful swing dancing to, to a live band and that and, and we do take that out to schools um, actually when we can get some sponsorship for that and it is one of the most happiest joyous occasions imaginable when you see young people often for the first time experiencing a live band so uh, fantastic it's coming up in uh, a very very few days time starts on Friday goes on till Sunday so there are programs scattered around the city um, all over the place and the the, the website we've already mentioned Mention it again bristoljazzandbluesfestival.com and um, all the information is there and Please come along and support it. It's, it's your festival as a city. It's, it's the Bristol Festival. And um, we want to get to as many people as possible to, uh, to share that, that love of, of, of live music.
Thanks, Nigel. And uh, to, well, talking about uh, young people, we've just got uh, time for a, a couple of uh, stories, uh, uh, science stories, science-ish stories. This is kind of a political story, but also a science story. Climate strikes spread worldwide as students uh, call for action. Thousands of school pupils worldwide have abandoned classrooms for another day of protest against uh, climate change. India, South Korea, Australia and US are among the countries where teenagers are already on strike, and of course here in the UK. Uh, so um, I, uh, I just think I want, I want to applaud this. Yeah, well, mm. I th- uh, and I, um, it's kind of sad that it's necessary. Yeah, well, but rather wonderful too. One of the issues with this, it, it, people say that um, people have been saying that it's uh, a waste of a day, and the then the students are losing classroom time. But speaking from the point of view of a teacher, I would love it if I didn't have kids for a day and I could just get on with, <laughs> I could just, I could just get on with my marking. That'd be good, yeah. One fears, <laughs> one fears you might be missing the point. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know there, there, there we go. Yeah, so we, we, we applaud them. Uh, and, um, yes, they're just saying, come on, this is our world and uh, you really need to... Uh, uh, it's pretty as, awesome that they're like taking it on board and yeah. actually like doing something about it. Because yeah. I've been like chatting with various different friends recently, just being like, "Why is there not like somebody that's like spearheading this and actually really driving like some kind of just massive steps for doing something about climate change?" Yes. Like there are so many sort of campaigns and people are sort of aware, but like why isn't there just kind of like one person or one group mm. of people really just mm. championing it and really pushing it and like. It is this generation, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which is, is really, really yeah. overwhelming. There's a, yeah. there's a quote from uh, the Environment Secretary, Michael Gove, here. He says, um, Dear school climate strikers, we agree. Yeah. Collective action of the kind you're championing can make a difference and a profound one. It yeah. doesn't say whether he went on to say what changes the government were going to make to address this. Yeah. But presumably that's coming soon. Yes. Let's look, for, let's look forward to that. <laughs> let's look forward to that. Absolutely. It's, it's a major major issue uh, on, our, on our agenda um, and ju- I was going to say just quickly we, we'll, we'll talk about this next week but uh, uh, Josh did you see the story about the meteor yes there was a, um, the BBC have picked up this story uh, this morning there was a huge fireball exploded in our atmosphere um, back in December but it went a little bit Unnoticed because it was over the Bering Sea, apparently, and it's, yeah. this was the second biggest of its of its kind in the last Ru- thirty years. Or Russia so, gets yeah. all the big meteorite <laughs> explosions. <laughs> 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 all right, okay. Well, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that story next time. Um, it's great to have John Ford uh, with us, uh, of course, as usual. Don't forget uh, to stay tuned uh, after the news for uh, getting Bristol home with John Ford. Hi, John. How you Hello. Doing? Uh, yeah, Good show today. Good show. Thank you. Very, interesting stuff. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, why, why is it um, that I know all the words to Trail of the Lonesome Pine in my head? And I've known them since I was about three. Wow. Why is that? Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe I just know it. Yeah. Maybe you just heard I it. I sang along when yeah. I went to see Stan yeah. and Ollie. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, Any, anything major we forgot? Um, yeah, you've, you've missed out a couple of things. Um, you were talking about climate change then. Uh, 1967 on this day, the biggest oil spill ever at the time. Remember the Torrey Canyon? Oh, yeah. 
went aground. Absolutely. Um, had 18 tanks, I think, on the, on the vessel. Yeah, I'll give you some more details of that after 4 o'clock. And I guess a question to Andrew. This day in 1965, Alexei Leonov was the first person to do what? Oh. Oh. I haven't got a microphone. Oh, there we go. Um, I've got a feeling he was. Um, was it the first spacewalk? Yes. Well done. Oh, See? Great. Yeah, you know. Clap, clap, clap. Very good. <laughs> Give that man well, yeah. out. <laughs> it's been fabulous having uh, you here uh, with us today. That's me, Malcolm Love, Andrew Glester, Maddie Nichols, Josh Warren, and Nigel Evans. Uh, don't forget to stay tuned for Getting Bristol Home with John Ford after the news. Have yourselves a very good evening. Don't forget to join us again next week. Thank you.